Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today, we have on an award-winning education consultant, keynote speaker, published author, and mental health thought leader, the neurodiverse teacher, Dr. Kristen Eccleston. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing great. I love talking to a doctor. This is great. This is. I'm not even recording. I'm just getting my information for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sometimes forget I'm a doctor because I, I never in a million years would have thought I was ever smart enough to do something like that. So when I hear that, I'm like, what, who, me? No way. That's such a great title is like doctor. Like it's, uh, it's up there. That's, that's uh, up there with like Esquire on the la- the end of your name. <laughs> like that's very elite. I always Thanks. start th- I, I always start this with all my guests. What does mental health mean to you? You know, mental health means to me that we feel good about ourselves. Like we get up every day. We're happy. We're ready to go. Like we feel good about what we're doing. We feel like, you know, that like at peace feeling to me, that is good mental health. And I feel like too many of us just, we struggle to find that. And maybe we get it occasionally, but like, it's hard to hold on to. So mental health is feeling like you're good. Like you're in a good place. Like you could accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. Great mental health is just great for the body and soul. Yeah. What is your relationship with mental health? Oh, my, my relationship with mental health is a complex one. Um, it's funny, like I never thought of myself would have battled or struggled with mental health. And I started off as a special ed teacher years ago and just through life, crazy circumstances, ended up developing a program for students with mental health needs because I saw it as a need. And just years into it, I ended up having my own battles with mental health. Just I think being a mom dealing or supporting students with mental health, like I never thought about how like takers of individuals with mental health, like how it weighs on their mental health and life circumstances all coming down at you at one time. And I'll admit like two, about, I guess, three years ago now, I struggled with mental health, like big time struggled with it. Um, so I feel like I, my relationship with mental health is one of who is an advocate because I see it as a need and as somebody who has personally experienced what it means to have bad mental health. What was the struggles you went through? So about three years ago, I had developed a program for students with mental health needs and I loved it. Like I was, it was funny. It started off, I was told I was crazy. There's no need for a program for students with mental health needs. And within five years, we went from having five to 58 students. So I think there was a need for a program for students with mental health needs. And at the fifth year, like I felt like I was at the top of my game. You know, when you feel like I'm at the top, things are going great. Um, you know, we had won awards, like things just seemed really awesome. Uh, and then I had a teacher who had an affair with a student and then I fell down a flight of stairs. And then I had a kid who went full blown schizophrenia and was threatening to kill all of us and had access to firearms. And then my mom got throat cancer. And then there was like a whole bunch of drama with my brother and his ex-wife that happened and they had four adopted children. It was like literally like Every day I felt like my life was like, what am I going to wake up to? What new fresh hell is going to be waiting for me? Like what new thing, what shoe is going to drop? And for a long time, I almost felt like I was afraid to be happy because I was afraid like the second I got happy that something else would happen. And it really sent me into like a really deep 
depression for a long time. And I, I really had to like dig myself out of hole. And but it gave me a new perspective. Like if anything, I feel like since I was an advocate for mental health, as much as it sucked going through that, I think it gave me a new perspective of like understanding what it feels like and what it's like to have to try to battle it and go through it. Was there an instance where things started to change around and something like great happened or you just, your mindset changed? Like what was it that, that got you out of that funk of uh, just a shitstorm? A lot of therapy. <laughs> yeah. Um. I you know at one point I think I was doing like talk therapy and I, I don't know if you've ever heard of EMDR, which is like the best worst thing. So EMDR, I can't remember what the acronym stands for at this point in time, but it's essentially like you desensitize yourself to your trauma so you go to a therapist and you essentially have to like, you might go for this specific trauma incident, but then you have to like root cause all the way back in your life to what made you have that same feeling the first time ever. And then you have to start there. And then you just have to like relive that trauma over and like talking about it over and over and over again. So you finally get to a point where you're like, yeah, this thing happened and it sucked, but like I can move on with my life. But while you're going through it, it sucks because you're literally just talking about this horrible event and then you clear that and then you go on to the next incident. So you could be a year before you even get to the event that actually brought you to that therapeutic person to go through this EMDR therapy. So that's why I call it the best worst thing ever. Like it really, I hated it. Every time I had an appointment, I dreaded going to it. But ultimately, I think that was one of the major things that helped me come out the other side and like I can deal with stuff now without becoming like an emotional wreck. I can acknowledge it. It's there, but I'm not like breaking down over it when I have to like bring it up or talk about it anymore. Facing your fears is not easy, but it is, it is good when you get over that, that little hump. Yeah. A hundred percent. So let's jump into this. Uh, I don't know what the word neurodiversity means. How is it used and what is it exactly? That's a really good question. So neurodiversity is like an all-encompassing term. So individuals who are ADHD, autism, sensory processing, or dyslexia, dyscalculia, all of those things are essentially like you are neurodiverse if you have one of those diagnoses. So being neurodiverse just means you fall into one of those categories. So it's just all-encompassing type of term. ADHD over here. So I must fall into that category. You do. And I love it because to me, like neurodiverse is just this, this idea that your brain just sees the world differently. It takes in information, it processes information differently. It's not better. It's not worse than being neurotypical. I tell people all the time, if you could put being neurotypical and being neurodiverse on a scale and weigh it, they'd weigh the exact same. But it's just that the world is more set up and structured for someone who's neurotypical. So us neurodiverse people end up feeling like we're broken or we're flawed or something's wrong with us. But Usually we're probably some of the most creative out of the box thinkers, but we just don't get set up for that, especially when we're younger. And then so a lot of us deal with a lot of mental health pieces when we get older because we got so many negative messages sent to us, especially in school when we were younger. That is great that you said that we think out of the box before we started recording. I was like, what happens if someone's on a TED talk and they have to sneeze? It's like, who thinks of that? <laughs> But I mean, I get it. I think about stuff like I think about weird, crazy things all the time. Like I go down like crazy rabbit holes all the time. But I think that's part of being ADHD. Like you're constantly looking for answers to like even some of the most absurd, crazy things. And I think being ADHD is like being an analytical thinker. I, you know, they talk about people being uh, with ADHD, having like processing issues. And we do like sometimes. Have you ever had somebody ask you a question? 
And then you're like, what? And then two seconds later, you're answering the question, right? Because your brain needed the processing time. It's not that you didn't hear them. And the person's like, "How? wait, if you didn't hear me, why did you say what? But it's like, you heard them, but your brain needed the processing time because I feel like the ADHD brain doesn't just come up with an answer. It has to think through all the 500 million different possible answers before it lands on the answer that it's going to get. Yeah, that's what I do. And I'll, and I'm not good at eye contact either. So I'll be like looking away and like trying to like do things, but I'm listening as well. But like, yeah, that happens to me a lot. I'm like, what did you, and I'm like, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. Cause I always contributed to like, I don't know if you watch like Marvel movies, but like Dr. Strange, mm-hmm. who can see like a million different outcomes. Like, I feel like that is yes. ADHD where you see like so many different things all at once. In fact, Dr. Strange is my favorite Marvel character. In fact, I have Benjamin Cumberbatch's autograph sitting over here right now is on his Dr. Strange poster because I'm a big nerd like that. And I I love Dr. Strange because of that factor. Like, I feel like he kind of falls into that category. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. There's probably like a like a secret thing where like all the Avengers have like a, a mental health like <laughs> disorder, like just oh, yeah. just underlining disorders. Yeah, like Tony Stark narcissism, 100%. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> 100%, 100%. Um, do you ever leave your cabinet doors open? Oh, I leave all sorts of stuff open. I'm also that person who like puts stuff someplace and I'm like, I'm going to put it here because I'll remember it's here. And I don't ever remember that that's where I put it. And then like a year later, you're like, surprise, <laughs> this gift that I've now given myself because I forgot that this was here. Organized chaos, I like to call it. Mm-hmm, 100%. Like my piles, I've like I call them doom piles. I know where everything is. Like, if you were like, hey, I need this piece of paper, I know exactly where it is. But if you move my stuff, I cannot recover from that. So you kind of alluded to this already, but what is your main goal with neurodiversity? I think my main goal with neurodiversity is like showing people. I just did a TED Talk in Arizona over the weekend, and I talked about neurodiversity in school. And my main goal is getting people to understand that being neurodiverse can actually be a huge gift. And oftentimes we set up kids, especially young kids in school, to for these ideas that like we're less than or we're not capable of or something's wrong with us as a learner. But really, like I think people who are neurodiverse have the ability to be highly creative, highly outside of the box thinkers, people who can like cure cancer. But it's really hard for you to ever get to that point when you're spending like a decade after high school, after college, trying to get to even the point that you're like, wait, I'm actually really smart or I'm really capable. Like I was that person. I was in my thirties before I was like, wait, I'm a lot smarter than I ever gave myself credit for because I felt like an idiot going through school because school just wasn't structured for me as who I am as a learner, how my brain takes in information or processes it. So I felt like I spent most of my time, especially in high school, trying to hide my inadequacies from all my peers because I didn't want people to think I was stupid because that's how I felt. But really what it came down to is I just wasn't being taught in a way that was conducive to how my brain learns. So my biggest thing for neurodiversity is I want people to realize that having individuals who are neurodiverse either in school or in your workforce are like a gem. Like these are your creative people who can like change things, come up with new ways of doing things, can, you know, cure cancer type of things. But we got to give them a little bit more credit than we've been giving people who are neurodiverse because I think we get a really bad rap of like, oh, we're just lazy or we, you know, we don't get to stuff on time. And that's not what we're all about. So with that said, how was it getting your doctorate? You know, I think getting my doctorate was is hard. Like anytime I've ever gone through school, it's been hard for me for different reasons. Like sometimes it was hard for me because it looked like I wasn't paying attention. 
And I had professors who were asses to me because they thought I wasn't paying attention. But, you know, a lot of people who are ADHD need to be doodling or doing something else simultaneously while they're learning in order to comprehend what that person is teaching in front of them. But then you have people call you out because they think you're not paying attention or you're not engaged in what's going on. But I mean, it, it was hard for me. I had to learn like when I did my dissertation, I had to defend it. I had to know like dates and people's names associated with learning theories. And I had to memorize all of this stuff. And it wasn't stuff you could like you studied for it, but you didn't know what was going to be asked of you in advance. So like it was a challenge. But I think one of the biggest things, too, with people who are neurodiverse is we have a really strong sense of perseverance and resiliency because we've had to because people have constantly told us that we couldn't. And I feel like we've constantly had to be like, but we can. And and I think maybe sometimes that comes easier for others and than, than not others. But I, you know, I think a lot of us have always had these negative messages given to us that we're lazy or we're not trying hard enough. And then it's, it's like we spend the rest of our lives trying to prove to people like, no, that that's not who we are. When you become a doctor, do they like knight you like a like a queen? Like, you know what I mean? Like now you're a doctor. You can use that title. Like, is there like a transition where like you when you started that using the doctor? So usually what happens is you have to defend the dissertation. So essentially it's your research. And my research was on mental health in the education setting. And, you know, I, I had to present it in front of a panel of doctors and say, here's my research and here's all the, you know, all the different methodologies that I use. And then you, you do your presentation and then you go out of the room. And then when you come back in, they're either applauding you and they go, congratulations, doctor, however, or yeah. they're like, uh, try again. <laughs> So luckily I got the congratulations doctor. And then that's kind of like your, you knew you, you made it. So I hadn't even graduated yet, but as soon as you defend your dissertation successfully, then officially you get to be a doctor. So what did you exactly study? Like what, what was the names of like what you studied? So my doctorate's from Johns Hopkins and it's in mind, brain and teaching. And people are like, what does that mean? And essentially that just means the learning science behind how you think and how you learn and how your brain processing um, allows you to be, you know, take in information, process information. And that really went hand in hand with both neurodiversity for me and mental health. So that was just my focus of research. So like, what was the day like when you're like, I'm going to become a doctor? Like, why, why, why would you do that? You know, I'll be honest. I think a lot of it was like, uh, having to prove to myself that I could, I, like I said earlier, I was somebody who spent most of my time growing up thinking I wasn't capable of stuff like that, that I wasn't very smart, um, that I was trying to hide from people that I wasn't very smart. And it was almost kind of like, I had to prove myself that I was, and that I could do this and I could achieve this. Um, it was like showing to myself that all those messages of I'm lazy, or I don't try hard enough, like, that, that that wasn't who I was. So it was kind of like proving to me that I could achieve something like that, that I, I am as smart as anybody else. But I still struggle with stuff like that. I can tell you, I was sitting in a room with a, a kid and I call him a kid because when you're almost 40, you know, a 25 year old seems like really far away from you as far as just interest in life things yeah. at the time. And I was sitting across from this guy and he's like, I went to Georgetown and DC because that's how we first connected that we were both from like the DC area. And he's like, yeah, I went to Georgetown. And I even sat there being like, oh man, this kid went to Georgetown. Like I'm an idiot. And then I'm thinking like, Kristen, you have a doctor from Johns Hopkins. Well, why are you sitting here upset with this kid with a bachelor's from Georgetown and thinking that you're not as, as good as this kid? But 
I think those are some of those hardcore ingrained messages that you get um, when you're neurodiverse because you did spend a long time thinking like, shit, I'm not that smart or like, I'm not capable. And, and that's not the case. I think if we had a school system that was more conducive to neurodiverse brains, people who are like ADHD, high functioning autism, they would just like pummel over all the other students because they would be that level of crazy intelligent and capable and showing what they could do. That's why diplomas are diplomas. Like, you know what I mean? That's like what you earn. I'm so glad they don't put GPAs on diploma. I was a season D's, <laughs> I was a season D's get degrees type of kid in high school. And I, I, I barely got by. So I was, mm -hmm. I'm very happy that they do that, but yeah, diploma is a victory. Oh, a hundred. The only reason I got into college, first off, I had to wait till spring. I was one of those people who had to wait till spring to go to college because nobody wanted to accept me in the fall and take on my ugly GPA and SAT scores that looked horrible. And I'm not afraid to say that because I think it's important for people to hear that like those things do not determine what you are capable of and what you can ultimately achieve. And then ultimately why I got into college was because I sang all through high school and I got an award in the state of Maryland for like distinguished vocal performer, you know, distinguished scholar and vocal performance or something. And I went to a state school for college. So that was kind of like, they were like, oh, we'll take you because you have this award type of thing. So like singing is what essentially got me into college. And it was, I was the same way. I was like that C, D, you know, B type of student. I was taking like food science, my senior, like everybody else is taking like AP, whatever. And I'm taking like food science and making pretzels and like the home ec and getting it as a science <laughs> credit. But that's all I thought I was capable of doing at the time. So back to back up a little bit, uh, why did you focus on children? Um, you know, so it's funny when I was in college, I was a communications major. Uh, I had interned in radio. I thought that that's what I was going to do. I got out of college and like a lot of kids out of college, especially in the early 2000s, there was like no jobs. And it was like, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And this opportunity to go and get a master's degree in special education came up. And I was like, OK, yeah, you know, in second grade, I wanted to be a teacher. Why not? Let's go for it. And I ended up loving being a special ed teacher because this is even before I got my ADHD diagnosis. I really felt like a kinship with a lot of these students. I always did like middle school and high school. So working with older kids and I felt like this kinship to them that I understood their struggles. I understood their frustrations because I myself had been there before when I was in high school. And so I just felt really dedicated to them. And then just through years of being a special ed teacher, like I said, this just it was like a random opportunity that came up to develop this program. And I just felt strongly after years of seeing kids struggle and seeing what it did to their self-esteem and then knowing what it does to your self-esteem, because I personally had been through it. I think I was really upset that I had to wait till my 30s before I finally went, oh, wait, wait a second. I'm really capable. I'm smart. I can do this. And I hated the idea of other young people having to go through the same thing of essentially blowing through their 20s, having no idea what they were capable of doing because they had to wait for that aha, aha moment to like pop up and show them what they were capable of. Like I wanted kids to be able to come out of high school and have what I didn't have, which was leaving, graduating and knowing like I can do whatever I want. Like maybe high school wasn't structured for who I am as a learner. Maybe high school wasn't my jam, but I know once I'm in my area of interest, like I can take on the world with this. And I wanted kids to feel that I didn't want them to have to go through the same path I did. And I think that's why I focused on youth or young adults is because I wanted them from day one, as soon as they graduated, know like I can take on whatever I, I want to take on and I know I can be successful, even if the world wasn't structured for me to be successful.
You're doing some great things. That's very elite of you. Um, being a special ed teacher, I always think that th those people are very elite. What struggles do you, did you face with being a special ed teacher? Uh, you know, I think one of my specialty areas that I always focused on when I was a special ed teacher was emotional disabilities. And so I think I am human just like everybody else. And, you know, I learned some hard lessons in the beginning, like don't get into power struggles with kids. You're you're never going to win a power struggle against a teenager. It's not going to happen. They will outsmart you. And especially in the school system where they have taken away any kind of disciplinary measures and anything from teachers, you won't win. So just like, don't bother getting into it. And I found too, that like being, having a sense of humor was a big thing, like not taking things serious. Like the amount of times kids told me they wish I would kill myself or like go jump off a bridge or something. Like you just develop a thick skin to stuff like that. And you recognize too, that they're not saying that because they really hate you. It really comes down to these kids are hurting from other factors. It could be home. It could be because they've got negative messages their whole life. And really, it's kind of a test. And I found that if I didn't let that stuff bother me and I still kind of stayed true and stood behind that kid, eventually they'd come around. It was almost like a test that I had to pass for them. Am I going to be one more adult who washes their hands of them? Am I going to be one more adult who's just like, well, you're lazy or you don't care. And so I'm not going to invest in you. But I found that it, like, if I didn't take that kind of stuff serious and I stuck around and I was like, call me whatever you want, but I'm still going to be here and I'm still going to back you up. But eventually the kids were like, all right, you passed my test. And and then you have great relationships with those kids. But I think sometimes people forget that these kids are not just kids who go home sometimes to this typical life. There's kids who have seen some some shit that I will never see as an adult. Like I had a kid one time who the parents had like pulled him across the country, were abusing him and he was in a bad place. He put himself on like a Greyhound bus. He saved up enough money, put himself on a Greyhound bus, was like paying off strangers so they wouldn't bother him. So he could get back across the country to be back with like his mother because he didn't want to deal with the abuse of his father anymore. Can you, and he was like in seventh grade. Can you imagine doing that as a seventh grader? No. And, and I don't, you know, and that never ends up in this kid's record. There's no record in their like student file that says this went through. This is just part of their story. But if you never stop to have a conversation with this kid and understand what they've been through, then you wouldn't know it happened. And so, like, I feel like oftentimes teachers just make these predeterminations of who kids are, or, you know, what they're like without really knowing what some of these kids have actually seen or been through in their life. That is that is a, like a crazy story being that age and doing that. I'd love to say that that was one of my more intense stories, but unfortunately it is, it is not. And, and that's the point is like, this stuff is not the stuff that's in their student file. There's no testing that shows this. This is building relationships with kids. I think one of the biggest frustrations I get with teachers right now, and, and I know it's not easy, but you, you hear teachers go, oh, administration says just build a relationship with this kid and that'll take care of it. And then they show like their destroyed room. Well, Really building relationships with kids is a big part of it. It doesn't mean that your room won't necessarily get destroyed. But if you don't take the time to like understand a kid or if you give any kind of like, like I said earlier, like I'm washing my hands of you, then you failed that kid's test. Then you are one more adult in that kid's life who has failed them and you failed the test. It took me two years with a kid one time. And then after two years of letting them just kind of like come at me and, you know, tell me to go jump off a bridge. And I still stuck behind them. After that two-year mark, I had an amazing relationship with that kid. But that kid had already gone through so much trauma in their life. They weren't just going to hand me their trust. I had to earn 
the trust. And you have to, I think as a teacher, sometimes have this, this thick skin and not let it get to you because these kids have been through way more than I think sometimes we recognize that they've been through. I mean, the level of trauma that some kids have gone through is just, it's insane. So you incorporate this. What is growth mindset? I love growth mindset because growth mindset is this idea. And I'm actually going to take it away from education because growth mindset can be in so many different facets. I'm sure you have had a conversation with somebody before where like you're just trying to share your opinion and your thoughts. And it's like they just put up a wall and like it is wrong or they're trying to just berate you in why their opinion is the correct opinion. And they won't even listen to what you have to say about where you're coming from. Right. Hate, I'm sure you've had I that. hate that. I hate that. Right. So that's a fixed mindset. The idea of a growth mindset is you and I don't necessarily have to agree. Right. And it can be any topic. I'll just say religion, politics, whatever, because those are like the hot topics. Right. We don't have to agree. By no means at the end of our conversation, do we have to be on the same page? And that's one thing that I think people need to start realizing. It's okay to disagree. Like it is okay to disagree, but you're going to tell me your perspective and I'm going to listen to it. Like I'm really going to listen to it because maybe you're going to offer me something that I had never thought of before. Maybe I'm going to go shit. Like I'd never thought of it that way before or, oh crap, like, aha, like maybe you're going to offer me what I like to call an aha moment of a perspective or a life circumstance or an experience you've had that I've never had that is make me going to go, wow, I had never thought of it from that angle before. And maybe it does change my mind. And maybe at the end of our conversation, I go, wow, you know what? I do have a new perspective. It still doesn't mean I have to agree. Maybe I do agree, but I don't have to, but I might have at least a new perspective because I listened to what you had to say. But I think too often we just go, nope, you don't agree with me. I'm going to berate you until you agree with me. And that's not the way to go about things. First off, it's like, you know, that old adage, we're going to agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. It is okay to disagree with people. Like having your own opinion is okay. And that just because our opinions differ doesn't make you a bad person or me a bad person. It just means we don't agree on something. We can still be friends. We can still get along. We can still communicate. But I feel like we, especially in society right now, are just so shut down and being able to hear anybody's opinion other than what we feel to be the right answer. And then we just get nasty with one another. And I think having a conversation where we listen to each other, we take in each other's perspectives at the end of the day, maybe you change my mind, maybe you don't, but I at least walk away with some more information. And that really comes down to this concept of personal biases. Every single one of us, have personal biases. And I think sometimes people think that's a negative thing. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. You can't control what you have been exposed to and what your life experience has been up to this point. It is what it is. But everybody has had life experiences. And if we can have conversations that allow people to say, but hey, this is what I've gone through, or this is what I've seen, and we take those into account, then it allows us to keep expanding our knowledge basis. It's called transformational learning. You know, our knowledge is right here. But the more you take in other people's perspectives and ideas and thoughts, you can constantly expand your knowledge and essentially make yourself a little bit smarter, allow yourself to have new perspectives. Changing your mind is actually not this hypocritical bad idea. Sometimes you have an idea of what you think because you only have the knowledge here. And if you get more, then maybe you do change your mind. And that's not a bad thing because now you're working with more information. And that's the growth mindset. You know where growth mindset isn't used? is on Facebook when people argue with stuff over topics. And right. I don't think anyone's opinion has ever changed due to a Facebook comment. I always said that. 
And we like do it so nasty. Have you ever noticed that too? It's like always done in like what I like to call troll style. Like it's never like, hey, this is not, you know, it's never approached. And I feel like in a civil way, it's always just like, how badly can I berate you and make you feel awful in my comment to you? And I, and I don't know if it's because we get to hide behind social media with not a face to face, but like, it's, I don't know why we shifted to that. And why we felt like being nasty to each other is like the best way to communicate with one another. Like there's times to get nasty. Don't get me wrong. Like I can't say I'm a saint. Like I get nasty sometimes. I get fired up. But I feel like there's a time and place for it. And then there's a time to just listen and learn and say, hey, I disagree. And here's why I disagree. At least back up why you disagree. Right. That's when people tell me that uh, pro wrestling is fake. And I'm like, you know what? Your movies are fake. I'll battle that to the <laughs> ground. You know what I'm saying? It's It's just art form. I mean, I, and I get, and I, sometimes I think too, we get hung up on like stupid stuff. Cause it's like, I'm, I'm of the mindset of like, if it's not directly impacting me and I'm not talking about like world changing world, whatever I'm talking about, like silly day to day things. Like it's not part of my life. If like you want to like dress up as a clown and call yourself Bobo, I don't give a shit. Like what is, how is that impacting my life? If that's what makes you happy and that's what you want to do live your best life there it is not impacting me in any kind of way but i sometimes think we interject ourselves into stuff that like has nothing to do with us does not impact our day-to-day and it's like just for the sake of bringing somebody down because we don't personally agree or wouldn't do it and i don't i don't understand why like why upset yourself to that degree if it's not impacting you and it's not going to do anything that's going to change your world and that person is just living their best life being happy like what do you care I'm glad I'm on the good side of growth mindset because I like to have those conversations when people just don't like berate you. I'm like, I'll have a tough conversation with you, but like, we got to listen to each other. Like, I know, like I've talked to multiple people on this podcast behind, behind the recording about religion. I'm agnostic, but I'll, and they'll listen to me about it. So obviously you have the, it's like courtesy, just, just listen to what they have to say. Like, we don't have to agree on things. And then like, with like politics, I'm apolitical, but when people bring up politics, I'm not that smart when it comes to it, but I'll listen and see like what, what I'm learning. And I don't mind that. But when people just start yelling and they're like, Oh, Democrat, Oh, Republican. I'm like, yeah, relax. Yeah. It's, it's not that it's not that serious and things that are serious, I think warrant then a conversation where we can both hear other perspectives. And I like, honestly, my favorite conversations are people who do have a different opinion than me, because I actually hope maybe you bring something up to me that I hadn't thought about before that I hadn't considered or a new perspective. That's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I had, you know, I hadn't looked at it that way before. Like I love listening to people who have different opinions than me because I'm actually hoping that I learned something out of it. But deep down, sometimes you're like, this person's wrong. Well, so, yeah, <laughs> but you know, but, but I also try to be like, yes, sometimes I do feel that way, but I also try to go, but you know what? That's, their opinion and if that's how they want to feel and that's what they're entitled to i will offer my viewpoint and i will offer like i will challenge what they were saying but i won't berate them or make them feel stupid or that their their opinions are not valuable just because i disagree with it because i mean when, at the end of the day they're entitled to feel and think how they how they want to Switch up this because you're an entrepreneur. What advice would you give to people who are hitting the roadblock along their way? Like you do a lot. You have a lot going on. So how do you, how do you, what, like, what would you recommend for them? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, Just keep pushing. I will say there have been days where I'm like, what am I doing and why am I doing this to myself? And then a couple of days later, I get this like great opportunity or this news or something. And it's, 
it's kind of like I live for those exciting moments. So I definitely have been in slumps and then I have been like the high of the highs. So just keep pushing. You never know what's going to be around the corner, even though it seems like maybe it's been months, maybe it's even been a year, maybe it's been years, but like just keep pushing, keep putting yourself out there. I say some of my biggest struggles is I am not the generation of social media. And I feel like everything now is like how many followers you have, you know, what does your social media presence look like? And that was a challenge in itself for me because like that's, I just missed that boat essentially age wise. And so just keep pushing, keep learning, keep doing everything you can with stuff like chat GPT access that that thing is a lifesaver I have found. So just keep teaching yourself, keep learning. And and I think eventually if you're pa- like if you're truly passionate about what you're doing, let that passion drive you until that big moment happens for you. The future's here and it freaks me out. I haven't dabbled in the chat GBT, but it, it like low key freaks me out. It freaked me out so bad when it first came out. And now I'm like, I don't know what I'd do without you, chat GPT. It is a game changer life because sometimes it can even just make hours of work happen within like 10 minutes if you know how to utilize it the right way. And I I'm now obsessed with like going on TikTok and listening to all the, like the prompt engineering stuff that people are finding and doing with it. Do you know people have like made themselves millionaires now since it's come out? Because it'll like give it a prompt like you get a hundred dollars. I'd like you to turn it into ten thousand by the end of next week. Tell me how to do that. And then it does, and then they go, All right, you have ten thousand, turn it into this. And like people have made themselves millionaires. I might just use it for sports betting and see what what they're gonna pick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just right. see if they're like a if they're no Nostradamus when it comes to that. It's crazy what it can do. What would you tell your younger self with what you know now? Keep going. You you've got this. Like I know it seems rough. I know it seems like you're not you feel lost, but like it's gonna be a really exciting roller coaster ride, and you're gonna want to be there for it. So you've got this. Um, I think that was my biggest thing. I think as a kid, I really, really doubted myself and what I could do. And, you know, I don't know that I'm where I want to be yet, but I love the excitement of trying to get there. And I think that's what I would encourage my my younger self is like, just enjoy the ride. I, you're going to get there. And, and I think that's what I try to remind myself every day. I might not be where I'm at yet, but I, I feel hopeful that eventually one day I'll wake up and be like, this is it. This is what I've been working for. What would your younger self say with like all the accolades that you have being a doctor, an author, a podcaster? Like, what would they think? I think my younger self would would be overwhelmed and would probably be like, I, I think this is the wrong person. <laughs> I don't think that they would have believed it at all because I did. I had a lot of doubt in myself and I felt so lost. I like and I even joke all the time with people. I'm like, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I don't know how much that is a joke like. Yeah, I've gone down this path and I feel like I'm really successful and knowledgeable in what I do. But sometimes I even wonder, like, is this is this it? Am I going to jump around? And I think some of that's the ADHD, too. I think when we're ADHD, we're constantly looking for that next dopamine hit and that next thing that makes us excited and and driven towards stuff. I'm 37. I have no idea what I'm doing or what I want to (laughs) do. Right. <laughs> I feel that I, I'm a doctor and I feel that way on a regular basis. Oh, uh, I'm glad I'm glad I'm on the same level as a doctor right now. <laughs> it's very common, very like good company right here. So you're an author as well. Can you tell us about some of your work? Yeah. So my some of my work is more academic work. So published in like different um I don't want to say magazines, but like journals, like publication research-based journals I've done, um, co-authoring on different books. I talked about burnout and my experience with burnout, which was really kind of that journey through mental health 
that I talked to you about. Um, eventually, I'm working on a book to you about being my journey with ADHD. So lots of different. I always have different things in the in the works. I tend to overwhelm myself. Um, the worst thing that happens to me is when I have like a moment to breathe. Instead of taking that moment to breathe, I'm like, what else can I fill my time with? And that's kind of like that's my that was what I would consider my curse of ADHD. Instead of just enjoying the off time, it's like I've got to come up with a new project. The curse of ADHD. That's that's that would be the title of my book. <laughs> the curse <laughs> of ADHD. Maybe that's a good title. <laughs> yeah, right. You can steal it. You can take it. I'm I'm an idea guy. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, how many podcasts do you want? Are you do you have four podcasts? Is that true? I do. I have four podcasts. What what are they? Let's, let's rattle off the names and tell me what they're about. Sure. So the first one is the Neurodiverse Teacher, which is my podcast that I bring people on who have either had struggles with being neurodiverse, but then found success. And the biggest thing for that was trying to show you that like you can be neurodiverse and still be incredibly successful um, and, or mental health, too. Like I also bring on people who have, I had Wes Bergman on a couple months ago. He was he's on he was on The Real World and MTV's The Challenge. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, so I had him on um, and he was talking more from like the mental health perspective when I had him on. And then I have a podcast called The Two Neurodiverse Moms. And it's myself and another friend who is ADHD. And we just like share our stories about being moms with children with ADHD and like how crazy our life can get and just our funny stories and the crazy things our husbands do that annoy us. And it's just like it literally is like an ADHD podcast and the fact that it's all over the place. And I can't even really give you like an exact this is what we talk about because we talk about everything. Um, then I have a podcast um, that I co-host called The Growth Perspective podcast with a gentleman called Christopher King. And we essentially we take pop culture things. So maybe a Netflix show or something. And we talk about how you can apply a growth mindset to whatever that pop culture aspect is. Like we've talked about Kanye West <laughs> recently. We've taken like the Dahmer series on Netflix and talked about that. And then I have one called the Miseducated Podcast. And it's a teacher friend of mine. And we just like jump into like all the things that are falling apart in education. All right. This is my next question. I'm I'm intrigued what your answer is going to be because you juggle so many things. What does self-care look like for you? Okay. So that's a good question. Cause I don't know. And I'll be honest because I get asked that all the time. People will be like, what does self-care look like to you? And I can say stuff that I go and do for myself. Like I love, I don't know if you've ever caught, I call it floating, but it's essentially like a, a sensory deprivation tank where you go and you float in the dark in salt water. And it's amazing. And I love it. And that was one of the things I did when I was dealing with mental health three years ago. And I will, still occasionally go and do it but like I don't know what self-care looks like for me because I think that's probably one of the things I, I struggle with because if I were to ever have like a day where it's like a lull day and I don't have much going on then like the next thing I know I'm updating my website like I have to have something to do so I will admit I struggle with self-care and because of it I struggle with burnout okay that's a great segue but first the uh, self like the deprivation whatever it's called the flotation i did yeah. that once i did not like it i i could see my thoughts like i wasn't tripping yeah. but like i could see my thoughts and it was freaking me out and then like i like the neck pillow was going down and i was getting water on the side of my eyes like i just didn't relax for an hour and it was freaking me out that's crazy because that's what i like i hear a lot of people who go and try it say that they're like i couldn't look last hour I didn't like it and I think it's either something that you love or you don't because I brought my dad and my dad you know is, is a Vietnam veteran and I thought like oh man he'll love this like this will be something great for him because they talk about like 
how it's great for people with PTSD and it's great for people who have like dealt with overwhelm and burnout. And he didn't, he didn't last the whole hour either. And I remember the first time I did it, I loved it. Like I loved it. Cause I tend to get into that. Like I call it that twilight state where you're not quite awake, but you're not quite asleep and you're just there. And yeah, like your thoughts there, but I just kind of like let them pop up and let them go. And I felt like I had had like a full body massage when I walked out of there. And it's one to this day, one of my favorite things to go and do. Yeah. Freaks me out. But <laughs> to switch up, you just talked about burnout. Like do you suffer from burnout sometimes? Do you ever get imposter syndrome? And then how do you get out of that? I do. I mean, I think with ADHD, like imposter syndrome is common for all of us because you know, we were told we weren't capable, that we were lazy. And then I think we get to this point as adults. I think a lot of people who, even if you knew you had ADHD when you were younger or you didn't, you got a late diagnosis. Like, I think a lot of adults with ADHD deal with mental health. I mean, anxiety and depression and ADHD or being neurodiverse in general, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. Like, you don't have to have one to have the other type of thing, but it's very common and I think that I'm definitely somebody who deals with anxiety and depression. In fact, a lot of times anxiety and depression can mask people who are ADHD. And sometimes that's why you get a late diagnosis. And I just think I'm somebody who has just dealt with that their entire life. And I didn't know what burnout was. Like, I thought it was stress when I first dealt with burnout. Like, I thought it was stress and it would just go. And now that I've actually had burnout and I mean, and I had burnout bad, um, I know what it feels like now, but I still struggle sometimes, even when I feel, feel it coming up, like how to deal with it, how to, cause I, I load myself up and that's why I said like, I'm not great with self-care. I am somebody who's constantly doing things. And so it's still kind of a learning curve for me. Like I would say, like, I know what all the things are that you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to say, but I am still very much learning on that with myself because like, I, by no means am an expert in that. Like I still struggle significantly with burnout and knowing my limitations and making sure that I'm taking time for myself. Yeah. Be sure to treat yourself. All right. I don't want you <laughs> like just burning yourself out all the time, get in that tank, buy a tank and do that. Right. Just buy one. Those right. are that's cheap, how I'll right? know I made it big when I can afford my own tank. That's how I'll know I made it big. Yeah, exactly. Let's wrap up a little bit, but first I just wanted to say like, you're an incredible human. What you've done to get to where you are is incredible, not easy. So you should be very proud of yourself. And I'm so glad I had you on this podcast today. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that and having me here. No problem. So where can everyone find you on the internets? Absolutely. The easiest way to find me is go to my website, which is www.theneurodiverseteacher.com. From there, you can get my email. You can get all my social media links to Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that great stuff. Sometimes I am amazing at posting on those things and sometimes I suck. I'll be honest, but come find me at least on my website. I, I tend to keep that the most up to date. I like to ask all my guests this. First off, the neurodiverse teacher is like a good wrestling name. Like you would come out, like what would be your theme song when you come out to the ring or come up to a Ted talk? Like what's going to be played? Oh gosh. You know, it's either, um, growing up, my theme song that my father told me that was my theme song was born to be wild. You know, like the get your motor run. It like was that So yeah. it would either be that, or I love, even though it's kind of a depressing song, a sale has, um, what is it? A wall nation. And it's like, blame it on my ADD baby. Like that, like, I feel like that would either be the other good one, even though it's kind of a more intense song. So either one of those would probably work for me. You would have an intro and an outro yeah. and that'd be perfect. So that, that second song would be perfect when yes. you end it. You know what I mean? 
Uh, let's go I with like this. What, like what, are th- what are three things that you're grateful for today? I am grateful for my life and just I've had a crazy roller coaster ride of just, you know, bad things, great things. And I feel like there's been learning opportunities from all of it. I have two children that I absolutely love and adore. And then I'm grateful for opportunities like this, like just being able to get on here and share a message with people like is is really important to me because I feel like, you know, when it's part of your day to day life, you feel like everybody knows or everyone's aware. But the more I go out and I talk to people, I realize how disconnected and alone people feel. So I'm really grateful for platforms that allow me to share my message and hopefully help people feel like, oh, maybe I'm not as alone as I've been feeling. The neurodiverse teacher, Dr. Kristen Eccleston, thank you again for coming on this show. Thank you. That's another episode of 2010 Minutes. Let's break the stigma by cracking a smile. I will see you guys soon. advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.